I see data scientists, data engineer, data analyst roles continuing to rise over the next decade. I think it is tricky because a lot of people see layoffs at like big tech, like fang companies and stuff like that. But like fang companies, I feel like they way overhired during COVID. And so I think it's just kind of a, a reaction to that. So I, I try to tell people to not look at those necessarily as as the shining examples of, of where the industry is at, because there's still lots of data jobs in companies that aren't tech at all. When it comes to you actually deploying models and having them be used by people, trust is huge in industry. These humans have to be able to trust your algorithm. But before you you garner that trust, explainability is a big deal. If you can explain what's going on, or if you can have explainability in your model that helps the human kind of, oh, this is what I this is why it's suggesting this, that can be really big. Because if you have a model, but at the end of the day, the human's making the decision and they're ignoring your model, your model's not very useful. Welcome to the What's AI podcast. This is your host, Louis-François Bouchard, and today I received Avery Smith, founder of the Data Career Jumpstart platform, where he teaches you how to land a job in data in 90 days coming from another field. In this episode, I focused on education, how AI is affecting education, and also applied tips to leverage ChatGPT and other AI tools to learn more, but also practice your skills to be more productive and find a job. It was an amazing discussion and Avery gave a lot of great insights related to data, productivity, and always learning more. I hope you enjoy this episode. And if you do, please don't forget to leave a like below or a five-star review, depending on where you are listening this episode on. Let's dive right into it. Yeah, so I studied chemical engineering in school actually. And after my first semester, I was like, crap, I don't like chemical engineering at all, but I didn't really know what else to what what to do instead. Uh, and I got super lucky, and I ended up working at a small uh, startup that made these sensors that basically would smell the air and tell you what was in the air if there was something dangerous, like a drug or a bomb or something like that. And there was a data scientist who worked there, and he basically kind of took me over his wing and, and taught me how to become a data scientist on that job. And he eventually quit, and I took over for him. And then I went to work as a data scientist at Exxon, and I actually got a master's in data science while I was there as well. And basically, when I was breaking into the field, it felt like there was not a ton of really good online resources to learn. There was a lot of boot camps, but they were really expensive. Um, and I was like, man, I feel like the best way to break into data science and to data in general is by doing projects and by making it fun. And there really wasn't very many platforms that were trying to do that. And I said, well, I'm going to start my own and really, you know, create a platform that's really focused on breaking in like the career aspects and the project aspects. Cause I thought that's what the mo was most useful for me. I, I couldn't agree more on the, the project aspect. And that's also what I'm trying to build it with towards AI. But I wonder for data specifically, you have a pretty bold claim of uh, you, you can bring the, the students to land a job in 90 days. So I wonder first, uh, how do you do that? Like, how do you allow people to land a job in 90 days? But also, why were you the right person to build the platform, do you think? It's like some kind of interview question, I guess, but <laughs> why you for, for building this, this data learning platform? I'll tackle the first question first. And yeah, my LinkedIn says that I help people land data jobs in 90 days. And the reason I say that is because that's literally what I do and it's possible. Now, there's a bunch of caveats and asterisks on that statement um, that you probably don't see on LinkedIn. Um, for example, when I first started this platform, I was trying to help people land data science jobs. And especially from like non-technical or non-STEM or non-traditional backgrounds. And what I realized then is that's it's really hard to land a data science job, especially if you don't have a technical background. Because not only are you like switching careers into something new, but you're learning a lot of new math and you're probably learning to program. Like it's really hard to do data science without being able to program. And so when you're learning new math, when you're transferring careers and you're learning to program, those three things add up and it takes a lot, a lot longer than 90 days the majority of the time. It was really hard. And so what I've pivoted into more is like BI, um, business intelligence and data analytics and financial analytics and business analytics. And those jobs don't require as much coding and they don't require as much math. So you can do it uh, a, a lot faster. And the really interesting thing about when it comes to landing a job is it's actually not that important of how much you know, it's how do you market yourself? 
And the way that yeah. you you market yourself, the way that you actually p- conduct your job hunt, that ends up being actually much more important than your actual technical skills at the end of the day. So that's one of the reasons why we're able to do it faster because we focus more on that versus your technical skills. Of course, we still need to focus on technical skills, but it's not big of, as big of a factor. And then your second question about like, why was I the right person to build the platform that I did? One, I don't know if I am. I'm still figuring that figuring that out every day. Uh, but two is, I think um, when I was in my master's program and a lot of the resources I was consuming online, data science and data in general was boring. It was like super boring. It was taught by you know someone who was older. It was taught by someone who talked like this kind of monotone and explained or like. Or like for me being in in the U.S., it was taught by someone who who you know maybe wasn't from the U.S. or something like that. And I was like, this isn't as fun and engaging as it could be. And so that's one of the things I pride myself on is like making data more fun. I talk kind of fast. I talk kind of animated. And when I'm when I'm teaching, I'm always trying to do it in a fun scenario. So actually, the first time I taught like a data science course or anything like that, uh, it was actually basically right after the pandemic started. And like we did like this whole use case study with um, trying to predict if there's going to be toilet paper at your local grocery <laughs> store. And that was just that was just a fun example, right? So that's one thing I think I bring to the tables. I try to make data fun. Yeah, that's essential. I, I live the same thing in university. It's just, well, you do have some very interesting profs. And I, I guess that's, this is where you end up going to. Like if you have a nice math teacher, you will enjoy math and you will go towards the math route. Like I... I guess it all depends on on the professor, and that's also the good side of internet. Like you can basically choose your professor and your favorite learning method, so that's pretty cool. And before getting into the this more specifically, you mentioned that if you are going into AI, the the AI route, you you need to learn programming, but you also need to learn math. And maybe that's less true for data analytics, but you will still be using algorithms and other math related things. So I wonder what's your opinion on learning the theory, like how those algorithms were built or like this, the math behind the algorithms. Is it relevant? Is it worth learning? Or do you, should you just learn like the, the one line of code that implements it? This is kind of a heated question. And I think there's people in both parties, people who are really pro application and people who are really pro theory. And maybe this is another reason why maybe people would like to learn from me or they'd hate to learn from me. I hate theory. I personally have never enjoyed it. I've met like even in school when, when I was learning chemical engineering, they teach you all like these, like the theory behind it. And you know, this is the formulas and stuff like this. And I'm like, great, skip all of that. Wake me up when we actually get to the application of why this is important. And so that's, that's, I'm super biased to like actually implementing data things. Now, I don't think you should totally ignore theory necessarily. Like it's definitely can be helpful and help you implement better. But when it comes to like, if I had to choose one or the other, I personally am always going to choose application uh, over theory in both my, my preference choice personally, and in my teaching style as well. And instead of theory, do you think it's important to also try to explain what you're doing? Like, making it more accessible like for, for example the theory would be the, the person building the thing understanding the underlying processes but do you think it's important to try to explain if you are using a cnn or whatever algorithm try to explain it with your company or with the people using it how it works in like layman's terms like is it important or should they also not no like it's not relevant just like the theory is not really relevant when it comes to you know people actually you actually deploying models and having them be used by people uh trust is huge in industry like they have to these humans have to be able to trust your algorithm and so you either you know you either can earn that by proving that you're right over and over and over again you know and, and eventually hopefully the humans are like okay like i get it like this algorithm this really works i i i've seen the results but before you you garner that trust or maybe your model isn't good enough um explainability is a big deal um so for example in most companies around the world although there's algorithms that are like suggesting what to do a lot of the times a human's still making the decision at the end of the day and so 
with that human, you know, if, if the computer says, you know, we should go up, but the human's still deciding, are we going to go up? Or are we going to go down? Trust in your model can really make the difference about what that human actually decides. So if you can have, if you can explain what's going on, or if you can have explainability in your model that helps the human kind of, oh, this is what I, this is why it's suggesting this. This is probably why it's a good idea. That can be really big because if you have a model, by the end of the day, the human's making the decision and they're ignoring your model, your model's not very useful. Yeah. And about education in general, what's your thought on traditional education and online education? Will it, are, are they just complementary one to each other or like will online education replace completely traditional education? Online education has opened up so many opportunities for so many people. So for example, I actually got my master's degree from Georgia Tech. I've never even been to the state of Georgia. So um, that like obviously opened up, like it's a really world-class um, technology college in the United States and it gave me the opportunity to go there fairly affordably. Still like $17,000 and I think there's more <laughs> affordable things that you can do. Um, but still, like it wasn't like forty or $70,000, right? Yeah. Um, At the same time, there is something to be said about being in person. I feel like it's a lot more engaging to be in person mm -hmm. versus online. So I think it's, it's a trade-off. It's like, how engaged do you want to be and like how much community presence do you want to feel compared to the flexibility of it all, right? Because like if I went in person, I couldn't, I couldn't do it on my own schedule, which is difficult. So I think those, there's, there's still room for both places. If you, if you really want to be in person, you really want to be engaged, you feel like that's important for your learning. I say go there. But if you're like, hey, I only have, you know, six hours a week at like random times, maybe, you know, 10 p.m. to midnight on Tuesday and Friday, like traditional education might not work for you. So online education might be the right fit. So I think there's room for both of them moving forward. And it'll be interesting to see how they interact with one another. Yeah. Yeah. That surprised me that you are you, you did your master's remotely just because I, I've seen many of your posts talk about the Net, like building your network and the usefulness of a, a good network. So I wonder how did you manage to grow and develop a network if you did your master's remotely? Like, isn't it better to do it in person and, and try to make friends and just contacts for the future? Or you did still manage to make great contacts and along the way, even remotely? You know, that's, that's a really interesting question. I was actually reading this book right before I hopped on this call. It's, um, it's called The Million Dollar Weekend by uh, Noah Kagan. Um, he started uh, AppSumo. And it was actually really interesting. So he, this guy's like a multi-millionaire. And this quote was really interesting. He said, 90% of my net worth comes from meeting people. I thought that was so <laughs> yeah. fascinating for him to say that. Um, and I don't think that is 100% true for me personally, but I'm also not like, I don't have near net worth that he has. So maybe I need yeah. to start meeting more people. Networking for me has come really from, from in-person like connections. For me, I go to church every Sunday and my church has like a super big network with, with lots of interesting people. And so I'm able to meet a lot of really cool, interesting people through my church. So that's like one way I network. But then predominantly, a lot of my networking has come from posting on LinkedIn. Uh, almost exactly four years ago, I started posting on LinkedIn um, during the pandemic. At first, it was to my first post like ever on LinkedIn, basically, was the US government put out like a petition for all data scientists to use their NLP skills to try to figure out what we know about COVID, how to fight COVID, how dangerous is COVID. This is like right early days of the pandemic. And I posted about that and I was like working on it. I was like live stream working on it and I'm so bad at NLP. So I, I didn't get anything really done. Um, but I tagged a bunch of people on LinkedIn and that post ended up getting 80,000 views on LinkedIn. And I was like, people are on LinkedIn and they, they see stuff. What the heck? <laughs> and basically since then I started posting almost every single day on LinkedIn for four years. And I've grown my network to like 107,000 followers now. And, you know, I haven't met any of those people really, you know, but just by providing them value, hopefully via posts and maybe direct messages and comments has really expanded my network quite large too, where if I, if I need something, I can often ask my network and hopefully get some help. And how do you manage to post every day? How do you find IDs or how, how do you manage to bring value every day? 
it's definitely hard. And I definitely think I'll, I'll say I fail sometimes on bringing value uh, every day. I think you can educate people. You can entertain people. You can support people. There's different methods um, that, that you can do based off of what your interests are and what you're trying, trying to do. It's, it's hard. It's really hard. Uh, I, I would say another quote here from, I think, Pablo Picasso. He says, uh, all art is theft. And that's one of the things that I do is I, I try to find stuff that really motivates me or inspires me or teaches me and twist it, give it my own twist and then, you know, put it in my domain and give it to my audience. So I'm really inspired by, by other people's. And, you know, I, I watch a lot of YouTube and like seeing some of the stuff that people do on YouTube. I'm like, man, let's just do this, but make it for data analytics or something like that. So I, I'll say I get inspired by a, a lot of people. Um, the other one is, uh, I do, I do kind of use a little bit of AI, you know, giving some ideas to get me, get me started in my posts. It's very, in fact, it's never happened where AI has just created a full post for me that I've actually used, but at least it gives me a warm start. Yeah. I do the same for, well, not for IDs, but for like editing or suggesting titles or, or things like, like this. It's, it's, it's very good. It's a, yeah, I think it's a very good editor if you go back and forth with it. I guess brainstorming as well is great with it. It's it's really funny because I, I don't know if you you followed this, but here where I live, I know that universities really don't like ChatGPT. Like they don't like students using AI, whereas it's like so good and so useful to learn anything. My next question was about universities and more specifically graduate studies. But do you think they are still relevant now? Graduate studies doing a master's as you did or even a PhD? Like, is it something that is still relevant now with ChatGPT where you can learn and almost do anything, but all the other resources online, is it still worth to go for a two-year, four-year or whatever degree? I think it really depends on what you're trying to accomplish. If you're trying to like, for example, break into data analytics, I don't think it's needed at all. I think there's better, faster methods to do so that are, that are more affordable. But like, if you want to network, if you want like a top tier job at like a really top tier company, if you want to like master the theory behind it, then then go for it. So I think I almost feel like you're going, it's like, it's not like what path is better. It's like, what destination do you want to end at? So I still think there's, there's places for it, by the way, you won't believe. So um, I had a coach, I do one-on-one -on -one coaching calls with people who want to break into data analytics. And I always ask like, have you taken any of the previous data courses? And this person just recently told me that they're in a master's of data analytics with chat GPT. I don't know, like I haven't talked to this person yet, so I've never <laughs> heard of that. I'm highly suspicious that it's, that, that it even exists, but I mean, maybe the master's programs are even, even starting to change too. Who knows? Wow. <laughs> and for data analytics specifically, then what would be the, like you mentioned, there are other ways and better ways than university. So what, what would be the skills that you need for data analytics? What, what do you need to learn to become like a professional or freelancer or just work in the field? Once again, I really like the idea of starting with the end in mind. So if you want to be a data engineer versus a data scientist versus a data analyst, so on and so forth, you're going to have to have different skills. So I really help people become like business analysts, financial analysts, data analysts. And that's another thing. Term titles in the data field are all messed up and all over the place. So it's kind of hard to even know uh, what, what you're even going for. Um, but have you had Luke Bruce on this podcast? Uh, no, I did not. Okay. I would highly suggest having Luke Bruce on the podcast. He's probably the, the leading like AI for data analysis experts that I know. He makes a lot of really cool YouTube videos about how to use ChatGPT to analyze data. Um, but one of the cool things that Luke's done is he's actually web scraped uh, about a half million different job listings for different data roles, and then done some basic analytics showing you what skills are listed the most often. So for like a data analyst job, it's typically SQL, Excel, and either Power BI or Tableau. Um, maybe Python as well, just depending on how the seniority of the position. But that's, the, in my opinion, those, I don't know, four to five skills are basically the skills that you need to know. I, I typically, I, I, out of all those skills, I like Python the most, but I tell yeah. people to learn it last because it's, it's the longest learning curve out of all of those skills. Excel, most of the time people know. Power BI and Tableau, if you can figure out PowerPoint, you'll be able to figure out those because it's just click and drag. And then um, SQL, at least for data analytics, basic data analytics, it's really like 20 different statements slash commands that you can probably learn in like 
two weeks. So um, those that's where I tell people to start. And then you hopefully can land your first job. And then I try to tell people, you can actually you know, get paid to learn Python on the job. Because it's like, in the data world, you're always going to be learning. Companies know that. So they can actually pay you to learn those things. So that's where I would start. Hey, this is just a quick interruption to remind you to leave a like and a five-star review, depending where you are listening, if you are enjoying this episode. I also love to know your thoughts about education in general. Will online education replace the traditional education with universities and graduate studies? Do you think a paper will still be relevant down the line? I'm really wondering. On my end, I think online education will change a lot, evolve a lot, and be more and more well seen by companies when it comes to hiring people. I also think learning by building is the most essential thing you can do. So where you learn your skills isn't really important. What's important, it's what you've done with it. So please, if you're looking for online platforms to learn, focus on the platforms that teaches you through building real world-like projects. Now, let's get back to discussion. I don't know if data analytics is different, but I know that in artificial intelligence in general, the field is changing and evolving super quickly. So for instance, universities are very behind in what they teach, like the frameworks, the libraries, etc. What you usually learn is not that relevant anymore when you graduate. So I wonder if it's the same for you and for your platform and how you manage to keep the content and everything up to date for all new students if it's like if the field is changing so fast. Yeah, that's an interesting interesting question. I definitely think AI is probably moving faster than data at this point. Um, there's just so much stuff happening, especially in the generative space. Data like obviously is is changing quickly, but it's not it's not in terms of months. It's more on the terms of years at this point. So like, for example, I think the big changes that have probably happened since I started my program, um, what, two and a half years ago. So like, I'm, I'm still not like all that. I haven't had decades, you know, teaching. Right. So I started this program about two and a half years ago. One of the things that happened was, uh, Excel came out with the X lookup instead of the V lookup. It just makes looking up things in Excel way easier. So you just make a new lesson about about the X lookup. You know that's that's fine. Python for Excel came out recently within the last year. Personally, I don't understand that yet, and I don't really see it's being used in in industry. So I haven't really felt any pressure. Although I probably will in the next year or so create some content around that. I haven't really seen it being used. So it's like I'm not going to teach something if it's not useful to industry. Um, So yeah, and then like Power BI, I can't remember when Power BI came out. Probably 2000. And like 15 or something like that. Um, so like, I don't know, maybe once a decade, a really big tool will come out that that's fairly yeah. new. Um, but I don't think we've had, I mean, probably the newest one to come out for that is, is chat GPT and generative AI. But the problem is one, there's not really a, a league leader for, you know, analyzing data with, with generative AI yet. I mean, you, you probably chat GPT is the front runner. Um, but it's difficult because you run into a bunch of privacy issues, right? Because no company is really going to let you upload their data sets to ChatGPT without yeah. the proper protection. So it's not really being used that much in industry, at least with the, with the proper ChatGPT tool. You know, some of the OpenAI stuff, it might be used in, you know, custom LLMs and stuff like that. Um, but it's not being used that much yet. Um, but it's still really interesting to potentially use for troubleshooting. So we have a couple lessons on like how to troubleshoot with ChatGPT and stuff like that. So I don't know. It's it's a really good question. I'll I'll ask me in five more years and I'll have a better answer probably. Yeah, ChatGPT is definitely useful for debugging. At least if you cannot oh, yeah. put like sensitive information, that's yeah. There's always there's tons of things you can do without putting 100%. sensitive information. Yep. And speaking of ChatGPT, how do you personally use AI on your platform, like either for building the content or for whatever it is be, being used to do on the platform, like not not teaching the students how to use AI, but how are you using it for the platform? Yeah, so this is this is actually something we just implemented um, that's, that's brand new. So one of the things we did is we actually took all of our lessons, all of our video lessons, all of our text lessons, and we created our own chat box. And that, that basically is trained on all of all of the lessons. So it's like a custom trained chatbot specifically for my bootcamp, the Data Analytics Accelerator. And so it just sits in the bottom right hand corner. Anytime someone has a question, they can just go to the chatbot, ask it there. It it 
I mean, I trained it basically uh, with some software. I'm not like that good of a programmer, so I use some software to do it. And it's like a little sketchy on like its its responses sometimes, but but it always it gives references to the actual individual lessons, which is super useful. So even if it's not that coherent of an answer that it replies back to you, it'll often give you the references where you can go back to where our instructors are actually teaching it and and get it straight from the instructor. So at least it does that pretty consistently. That that's very cool. That's we also recently, well, a few months ago, we released our AI tutor with basically all the articles and courses we've created with Towards AI. So pretty similar, and and it's it's been super useful and people love it. But is there any other way you are using leveraging AI on the platform? Because of course, a chatbot is like really cool, and everyone loves to just have a quick answer instead of talking to someone. But that's something like lots of people do. Is there anything you you are using AI to do that is different? Yeah, I think there's some other cool things that we're doing uh, at my company that I don't see a, lot, a whole lot of other people doing. So uh, one of the things we'll talk about, it's another chat bot, but, but hold on, it's cool. I think you'll really enjoy <laughs> it. Um, so that chat bot I just told you about is for my students in the bootcamp. Yeah. That's the, the purpose of it. I actually, when, when OpenAI announced the GPT store, I was super excited. I was like, oh my gosh, I'm going to build what I call Avery GPT that has like all of my knowledge. You know, I'm going to put it in the, the OpenAI GPT store and it's going to be awesome. But then I realized in order to use the GPT store, you have to have ChatGPT Plus, which is like $20 a month. And I was like, okay, I know some, a lot of people have it. I use, you know, the Plus, but a lot of people don't and they probably can't afford it. So I was kind of discouraged when I was making it. I was like, ah, I don't really know if I want to make this. And so what I actually did is I actually created this thing called um, Avery GPT. Maybe we could have a link in the show description or something like that. <laughs> yeah, of course. Where, where it's open to the public and it has all like 2,000 of my LinkedIn posts. It has the transcripts from my podcasts, all 100 transcripts from my podcast. And basically it's like anything I've produced content-wise, at least via LinkedIn and via podcast, it has all the knowledge to that. So once again... It's a really fun chat bot where you're getting, you know, custom, like how I would answer it if you asked yeah. me a question, right? Because I love doing one-on-one -on -one coaching, um, but it's just super hard because I value my time. You know, it's like, if I'm doing consulting, I charge like 300 bucks an hour. So if I'm doing one-on-one -on -one coaching, I have to charge someone like about the same, right? Um, which is, which is maybe not the most expensive, but it's expensive for a lot of people. And so this hopefully gives people a chance to have one-on-one -on -one coaching from me that's that's more affordable. Obviously, maybe not as good, but hopefully more affordable. So that's that's one way that we're doing it is is making like a more publicly available chatbot, which I think is is kind of fun. Um, and then the other way is we've actually created some software called I call it the interview simulator. This is less for for teaching data and more about actually helping you land a job. Um, and the way this software works is I recorded a bunch of my of videos of myself asking really important interview questions that you're going to get asked in an interview. Usually behavioral questions with a few technical questions. And so I, you watch a video of me asking it, and then a recorder pops up on your screen and says, you know, answer the question. And you record yourself on the screen answering the question. And then you press submit. And then it actually shows an example, like a, like a good answer of how you should answer this, this, this um, interview question. And then we actually give them a bunch of AI feedback on how their answer went. We rank it zero to 10, or I guess one to 10. We give the pros, we give the cons of what they said. So trying to give people a little bit like more than just a mock interview, but like a little bit interview coaching as well, which, which is pretty fun. Yeah, that's really cool. It's a, I don't even know if it exists somewhere right now, but it's, I feel like it's a, it's an amazing thing to have, especially on a learning platform. It's just really cool to have feedback on the questions that you will surely answer. Like what, what we often say is to just go on interviews to practice, like yeah. you, you will fail and that's it. It's not a big deal, but that allows you to practice without the the shame of, of failing an interview. <laughs> so it, it's pretty cool. Yeah. A hundred percent. There are some versions of this that, that are popping up on the internet. Um, all of them are, are a little bit different. Um, one of the things I like about, about ours is we're the only video platform. So there are like some audio platforms. And we're also the only one that uses a real human to ask you the questions. A lot of them will use AI with a, like a, an AI avatar. Those are like 
80% there, I think. Um, but they just kind of look creepy still, like most of them, um, especially unless you get like a really good model. A lot of these AI avatars are still like kind of look a little robot-y. So we, we, we asked the question from a human, you record via, via video, which is the most real, that's like how it will be in the interview, right? Although there, I think there are some platforms now that are interviewing with AI avatars, which I don't like. I'd rather have the humans do it, but maybe that's the future we're going to. I don't know. Yeah, what did you think on of uh, Channel One? I don't know if you've seen the. No, I haven't. Like, What's this? It's it was like a, an automated channel media with fully oh. generated thing that came out like well it should came out I, I think it, it was supposed yes. to come out in January not sure but like it was announced in December with a big video release and it was super hyped. Yes, I I I heard the audio of it, but I haven't seen the video of it. Um. That'll be super interesting. Once again, I think I mentioned this earlier. I don't know about you. I'm sure you're worlds above me in like ChatGPT prompts and AI stuff like this. But it's pretty rare. Although with the interview simulator, we don't we don't actually edit anything now that I think about it. It's pretty rare for me to just copy and paste, you yeah. know, any sort of generative AI um, because it usually could use some human optimization. So I'd be but but maybe they did. Maybe Channel One was like maybe they did like perfect it over time, right? So I don't know. It's it'll be interesting to see. I'm here's here's the truth: is it's going to get better over time, and it's going to need less humans over time. Mm -hmm. I'm sure of that. But do you think people will want to listen to avatars and like see news from not real people? If it's compelling enough, like for years they've had. I don't know. If you can you can cut this out if you want to. Um, but they have the for years they've had those AI influencers, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, and and so it's like as long as it's compelling, compelling enough, I don't think people will really really care. Um, you know, if it's not compelling, if it's like crappy, you know, I think people just care about quality. I don't think they necessarily care about anything else other than quality. And right now, most AI, you know products or, or I guess results are usually just not quite human sounding or not quite the high enough quality. I was working because we we pump out like like you said earlier, how the heck do you, you know, how do you post on LinkedIn every day? I was talking to my team and they were like, well, what if we just used, you know, AI to generate LinkedIn posts? And I was like, there's no one, I can't name one successful content creator right now that is putting out AI exclusively AI content. Yeah. Sure. They're using it to brainstorm. Sure. They're using it to edit. Sure. They're using it, you know, for this title or this part of it, but it's not like there's any, maybe, you know, one, but I don't know any content creator right now. That's like, like just copying and pasting a result and posting it and it's going well. No, it, and like, as soon as you have a little experience with ChatGPT, you, you can already like, you just see that it's generated. Like even if, it doesn't use the, I don't know, the delve in and all the, the terminology <laughs> yeah. that it always uses. Yeah. 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 Like all the terms are so proper to ChatGPT. I don't even know. It's it's supposed to be using what humans use the most, <laughs> but it's like it, it uses a vocabulary that nobody uses. It's a bit special, weird, but yeah, I, maybe it's done. Like maybe OpenAI just managed like to do this for the users to know it's generated, like some kind of <laughs> of management thing. But yeah, it's it's like so easy to spot that that a piece of content or something is generated. It's, it's just, it's really bad. And I guess that people that do not speak English very well or that are not used to using ChatGPT don't know it. So they sometimes copy paste. But if you've been using it for like a month or, or whatever, you will definitely like right away know that it's generated. and. I don't know if LinkedIn and Twitter and other platforms have done some things to like downrate the generated posts, oh. but they they surely don't do well. Like I've seen some generated posts, like as soon as you see the first sentence, you already know, yeah. but they are, they are all very like posts that don't do any reach. So I, I really don't know. I also do not know anyone using, well, like copy pasting from ChatGPT or something in, directly into social media. And I guess that's for a reason, but like it's, yeah, I don't know. It's very easy to spot that it's generated. And I guess it doesn't have enough personality. I, I really don't know. I, we, we've tried at uh, towards the eye, we've tried to do some kind of 
uh, tool, like a social copilot for, well, mainly for me, for podcasters and, and bloggers, but to basically take a blog and try to follow the style of the blogger blogger oh, yeah. while creating a post that would extract like one or two cool insights from the post. But still, it's it's so much work afterward editing the the post the post like it we we prom- we just tried so many things and it's still we we are not able to make it like good interesting and valuable like it's just it, it doesn't work <laughs> unfortunately I, i'm with you so that that was one of the other things i wanted to mention one of the ways that i'm also using ai is for each one of my weekly podcast episodes i do on the data career podcast um, we, we added it in Descript, which recently added a bunch of AI features. So like we always start the podcast with a highlight, uh, from the interview. And so I'll ask Descript AI now to identify five, you know, key parts of this podcast that could potentially be yeah. cliffhangers or gripping or viral or captivating. Um, and then I'll go listen to all five of them and then choose one, right? I'm not having it choose for me. It, it usually can get one good one out of five suggestions. So mm. we're, we're using that. And then I also use a couple other tools to, to take in the recording and transcribe it. And then they'll, they'll generate things like LinkedIn posts. They'll generate things um, like... Um, uh, Instagram captions, they'll post, they'll, they'll, they'll do my timestamps. They'll do my titles and stuff like that. And once again, we're never, it's, it's always copy paste edit human, human edit. So, um, it's probably, it probably saves us, I don't know, a significant amount of time, but it's, we're also still putting time into it. It's like, it usually gets you like 50% of the way there. So it, it gives you a warm start where you can, you can start from not a blank piece of paper. Um, but at least some helpful suggestions. Yeah, and for just any creative task, just like, for example, creating a new post on LinkedIn, it's just, like you said, that it, it takes you to the to 50% of the job done, but it's I feel like it's even more, more than that, just basically finding the ID of the post and then having a draft that you then just edit and post is of course it's like fifty percent of the work is technically done because it was written and you need to edit like half of it and whatever. But just finding the idea of the post and trying to format it correctly is this is already this is a good like ChatGPT is good for I know uh, organizing ideas I guess and like knowing what to mention and then if you are not an expert but like knowledgeable enough in the in the field that you are posting yep. on about, you can just quickly see what ChatGPT says is, is wrong or right and just edit very quickly and make a super good post out of it. So it's, yeah, I feel like it's just a, it's really a game changer for lots, for, I don't know if it's creative tasks, but like for a task that requires you to come up with something new or something with like very little gui- guidance, I guess. It's, yeah, it's incredible. It's awesome, I agree. Are you also teaching the like your students to better leverage ChatGPT or other AI tools? Like, do you have any lessons on that? Yeah, inside the platform, we are doing some lessons with ChatGPT. Less about actually like analyzing data, for example, a lot with the career stuff. So, like for instance, um, we talked about the interview simulator software that we have. They have access to that. Uh, I also teach them how to conduct. You can ask ChatGPT to conduct a mock interview with you via text. Um, and that turns out good. So a lot of career stuff, a lot of resume stuff, like resume bullets, brainstorming, looking at your resume for typos, those types of things. When it comes to actually learning this, the actual technical part of data, not a ton, but the one thing we do mention a lot is troubleshooting. Like basically ChatGPT for, for me and for my students is now the new Google for when you hit an error code. I, I would love to know what Stack Overflow's traffic has looked like <laughs> over the last year. Cause I have to imagine, although Stack Overflow is still useful. I'm not saying it's not useful, but I'm I'm imagining it's actually decreased quite a bit mm. because, you know, instead of me Googling and just clicking the first link, which is always Stack Overflow, I'm asking um ChatGPT, you know, why did I get this? Here's my code. You know, why did I get this error? And then it'll be like, oh, you got this error because of this. And then it'll often just be like, here's the revised code so you don't get the error. And that's really impactful. So really troubleshooting is really big for us. And that's what we're using ChatGPT and AI for. The other thing is like warm starts once again for coding. So whenever I'm coding 
something now, and Python is usually my, my language of choice, I will ask ChatGPT to take a stab out of it. Like, uh, like, go ahead and try ChatGPT. Try to try to create this app that I'm that, that I'm building. And you know, once again, it's only getting about forty percent there, but that's forty percent that I didn't have to type. You know, yeah. so uh, it's really useful for like starting code. Like, I always hate starting code. Don't want to start from a blank slate, right? So give me the start of a code that does this, and usually it does fairly well. And other than programming, you you said that you of course you teach, but you also all, you keep learning and you are always learning. So do you have any, well, first, are you leveraging ChatGPT to learn new stuff? But also, do you have any habits or good practices to, like, do you force yourself to keep learning? Or is just like, you, you love reading and you love going on YouTube? And like, what do you do to just keep learning, keep progressing, improving? Is there, is it, yeah, anything, if you have any tips, specific tips with ChatGPT or just in your life in general to, to make you more productive? To answer your first question, I'll just, I just want to tell a quick story. So I, I'm an entrepreneur. I love doing what I do. I love teaching. Um, I also love tech and I love software. And so I also love social media too. Um, so recently I had an idea to build a SaaS software that would basically help people repurpose content on LinkedIn. And I was like, I want to build this for me. And then I want to see if anyone else wants it, you know? And uh, I'm, I'm a... I'm not really a programmer. I'm a, I'm a chemical engineer who learned how to program in college and then got a you know a master's degree in data science. So I can code in like Python, but like I can't code a website, for example, mm. right? Uh, but but I'm I'm familiar enough like to know like okay, I probably want to use like Angular or JavaScript or something like that for the front end. And so I was like, you know what? Let's see if I can do it with ChatGPT. And so uh, I was like, okay, ChatGPT, this is what I want. This is my you know app idea. This is how I want it to look. Uh, this is, this is kind of what I wanted to, to like the layout to be. Uh, and I was able to build the front end and, uh, I was able to build the back end in Python. I know Python, but still ChatGPT wrote most of the back end for me, but getting them to talk to each other on my local computer, I couldn't, I couldn't get past an error with ChatGPT. So I ended up having to hire someone else, but like, that's something that I would never be able to do without ChatGPT or actually I could do, I guess it would just take me a lot longer to yeah. learn it. Um, so that's maybe one of the ways I'm learning is just by like experimenting with stuff like that, which I think is, is really fun. And then to answer your question about like, how do I learn in my life? I love, I have like, I don't have ADHD at all, but I say that I do because I basically go through every second of my day being stimulated by podcasts. So I listened to, I listened to like 60,000 minutes of Pod, is that the right number? I'll have to check my spot. Is it hours or pod or minutes? I think it's minutes. 60,000 minutes of podcasts last year. Um, so I'm always listening to a podcast. So I learn a lot through that. If I'm not watch, if I'm not on a podcast, my TikTok and my YouTube are very like learning based. And then the last mm -hmm. thing I do is I make myself read a nonfiction book every day, 10 pages. I just get 10 pages of nonfiction reading every day. So that's probably the one habit that's actually like a habit where it's like not just kind of like learning is not just kind of happening because I'm bored, um, but I'm actually trying to like learn a little yeah. bit every day by reading 10 pages. That's a, a good tip. Like it's not a, I don't remember, habits. I, I think it's just habits, the name of the book, but like trying to, to start new habits, uh, you have to, you, you basically should try to do very easy steps. Like just if, if you want to start running, you just put on your shoes and you You go yeah. out and then you can just go inside if you want, but just start by putting your shoes and not not like have in mind to run a 10 kilometer run each time or, or whatever, like it's too ambitious. Just try to, to start with little steps. So I really like the the idea of the like limiting yourself to 10 pages, not like an hour or or even more per day. And, and so right now it's million dollar weekend that you are reading. Yeah, I've, I'm switching up. So um, I yeah, I've read Atomic Habits and I'm looking at my bookcase here. I've read Atomic <laughs> Habits and Tiny Habits and they both kind of talk about that as well. So yeah. I really like that. I just finished this entrepreneur book called, uh, I think it's called The E-Myth and that was good. Yeah. Um, so now I'm reading, yeah, Million Dollar Weekend for one and I'm kind of co-reading this like self-help book called The Mountain Is You. Um So those are the kind of the two I alternate on based off of um more interested in like learning about like business versus like becoming a more mentally stable human. <laughs> and would you recommend both? 
Uh, so, I mean, to be perfectly honest, I'm 10 pages into, into both <laughs> right oh. now. So, <laughs> so, so far, so good. No, no complaints. Um, but I just finished the e-myth, um, which for anyone who's yeah. entrepreneurial um, and wants, is thinking about starting a business, I found it very useful. Um, so I enjoyed it. Awesome. Um, oh, yeah. I had one last question about data for you. Um, in the, I guess, in the data analytics space or just data space in general, with ChatGPT and everyone transitioning, do you feel like the freelancing or just job world in general is saturated now? Like, is it already too late to join in? So I, this is so fascinating. I thought that when COVID happened, that like everyone would become a freelancer. I just like, I almost envision a future where literally no one actually has like a real job and everyone's just a freelancer working from home, working on different projects for months at a time. Um, maybe multiple at the same time. I don't know. That's how I envision the future. So I actually bought like a ton of like freelance um, stock, like Fiverr and like other freelancing platforms. And they've tanked. They've gotten so they've gotten down like <laughs> like so much. So my theory was off, or at least I'm I'm too early on my theory, I guess. So that's kind of how I pictured the the future of freelancing. Um, and I guess we're not there yet. Uh, in terms of like data jobs being oversaturated, I don't think so. I think they're only going to get more and more prevalent over the next decade or so. Um, there's so many companies who are still so far behind in their data maturity. Um, and data has such a, a high ROI that I see data scientists, data engineer, data analyst roles continuing to rise over the next decade. I think it is tricky because a lot of people see layoffs at like big tech, like fang companies and stuff like that. But like fang companies, I feel like they way overhired during COVID. And so I think it's just kind of a, a reaction to that. So I, I try to tell people to not look at those necessarily as, as the as the shining examples of, of where the industry is at, because there's still lots of data jobs in companies that aren't tech at all. You know, in manufacturing, they need data analysts, pharmaceuticals need data analysts, healthcare needs data analysts. Like there's so many different professions and big tech's just one of them. Awesome. That's great news for all the learners that are listening. And for the, the freelance on my end, I think more and more people are going the freelance way, but I think it's, I don't know if it's easier, but I think the, the people just like me and you, for example, are building some kind of community and network. And so they find their clients themselves, like they don't have to rely on Fiverr, Upwork and all the other platforms. So maybe that's why they tanked a bit. Like people do go the freelance way, but they, they create a YouTube channel. They are active on Twitter. They, they have a good GitHub or, or whatever. Like they can find clients in other ways. Maybe that would be my theory. <laughs> You're 100% right that, that that could definitely be the case. And this is the tricky part, I think, about doing freelance. I have a lot of people. In fact, when I first started my program, I actually taught you how to become a freelancer and like start a consulting or like an agency or something like that. And I stopped teaching that because it's way too much work <laughs> uh, to become one. If you're transitioning, yeah. like you should probably work in the field before you become like a freelancer. But even with that, if you're interested in becoming a freelancer, you know, from whatever tech job you have, I mean, great, go for it. But just realize that 50% of your effort is probably now not your tech field. It's now business. Um, you yeah. have to figure out how to market yourself, how to do sales, how to set up a business bank account, how to, yeah. how to invoice people. And it's that book that we mentioned earlier, the e-myth, it talks about when you start a small business, there's, there's three people, there's the tech, well, even if it's just you, there's three personalities, the technician, which is, you know, you being a tech person that you've done your whole life, the actual technical work, there's the manager, and then there's the owner of the business. And all mm -hmm. three of those are very hard personalities to, to balance all three of those and actually balance the jobs of three different people. So I, I think that like, you know, there are people out there who do, who do the freelancing route and they enjoy the marketing or the business. And so they're able to get clients that way. And I think there's people who are like, crap, I don't actually want to get into sales. I don't want to get into marketing. I just want to, you know, do AI or do data science or do machine learning. And they're like, crap, what do I do? And even like the platforms like Upwork or Fiverr, even then, like where you're not necessarily, you don't have to go out and find your own opportunities. The opportunities can find you. Even then, it's a ton of marketing, intro calls, yeah. 
direct messages. So it's it's about 50% business, 50% whatever else you want to do um, if you start off by yourself. Yeah, if you just want to code and learn. Well, I guess you learn a lot by being a freelancer and entrepreneur, oh, yeah. but you learn different things. Yeah. But if you just want to go into AI data and just play with the models and learn, <laughs> uh, like a, a traditional job is definitely more interesting. Yeah. Awesome. Is there... Okay, you, you have your data the, the platform the uh, data carry jumpstart that people can look into and i i also seen i i've seen that you also recommend checking out the the podcast and newsletter for the students but just anyone in general and i i just wanted to ask you what's the difference with all three like who should listen to the podcast who should take the course who should follow the newsletter or yeah how how would you introduce each of them Yeah, so the majority of my, you know, content and products over the last three years have been for people with non-traditional backgrounds who want to break into a data career. So people who are like, oh, I am interested in this. I think I want to do it. Maybe not 100% sure yet or not sure like about a roadmap. That's pretty much the the people I'm speak, trying to speak to. So for all three of those things, that's that's what I'd recommend. Um, if you're if you're interested in just like career switches, that's where I'd recommend the interview simulator where we, we practice interviews and you can do some like practice interviews and stuff like that. But really most of my content is for people who are trying to break in the data analytics world. Um, so if that's you, then then come on over jdacrewjumpster.com and you'll be able to find everything there. Awesome. And there's also, there will be the every GPT link in the description. Yes. Too. Yeah. If you want to check out just like a fun uh, GPT link, um, yeah, check that out. That'll be great. Perfect. Thank you very much for your time. And thank you for building this learning platform and especially the, the, the jobs section that is super useful and really cool. So thanks. Thanks a lot for the insights. Thanks for coming uh, on the podcast. Yeah. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it.